Thanks for listening to this Table Church Sermon Podcast. We're in a sermon series called Baggage, Finding Freedom from the Weight We Carry. We're addressing some heavy things like depression, anxiety, trauma, addiction, and guilt in order to learn God's heart for those who hurt. Our prayer is that these sermons would help you and encourage you. Please feel free to reach out at hello at tablechurchdsm.org. Enjoy. Our scripture passage today is from the book of John chapter 6. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open to John chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 53 through 68. Verses 53 through 68. It says this. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave two, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Phil, the word of the Lord. You can always see the liturgical people pop out of the woodwork. When we say that. <laughs> well, welcome to Table Church, everybody. My name is Megan Cook. I'm the discipleship pastor. It's great to see all of you. Um, happy Father's Day. Happy Juneteenth. Um, we do have some Hertz donuts on the way out. You're not going to be able to miss them. They're right at the top of the stairs. So um, you're all like, preach faster. <laughs> I said this in our volunteer service. Earlier this morning, when I was like, just pray a prayer blessing over whoever gets stuck with the job of vacuuming up all the sprinkles when we're done. It's a, it is a calling. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, welcome again. Make sure if you're newish to Table Church and you haven't gotten to, stop at the Welcome Center on your way out today, too, with your donut. Grab your donut. Go to the Welcome Center. Do it in whichever order you want. Come and meet us. We'd love to meet you, get to answer any questions that you got about Table Church, and we got a gift for you, too. So don't leave without your gift if you haven't gotten a gift from us before. If you have been coming for like a month and you didn't get your gift, go get your gift, okay? You have permission, okay? Doesn't have to be your first time. All right, so on August 5th, 2010, 33 Chilean miners became trapped when the gold and copper mine that they were working in collapsed. Many of you probably remember this story. It was a huge news story for a long time, okay? 
Now, as this situation for these miners became more and more desperate, for 17 days, they lived without knowing whether or not anyone was going to find them. Okay? They're all trapped in this very small space. And then, on August 22nd, a drill sent by rescuers from the surface broke through to the area where the miners were located, just a very small space, and they were able to start sending communication back and forth. All right, so then they started sending food and water and letters and medical care and supplies and things like that through this tiny opening for these miners. And eventually, they were able to create a shaft that was wide enough to take one man at a time to the surface. It's 2,000 feet to ascend to the surface, one man at a time, at a speed that took about 15 minutes per person. So you can imagine waiting in there through this ordeal. Now, um, many of the men that were trapped in this mine were Christians. They have some incredible stories. You can Google it. I believe Moses recommended that earlier. It's an incredible way to get more information about anything that you don't fully think you understand. So you can Google it to get more of these stories. They're absolutely incredible. One of the men that was down there, when he was done, he said, I was with God and I was with the devil. They fought and God won can imagine how horrible that ordeal would have been. And I kept thinking of that news footage of those men. You know, you probably have something in your mind remembering this happened, watching it play out in the news. This news footage kept playing in my mind as I was writing this message and just had that question over and over and over again in my mind. What do you do when you're trapped and you have no way to get out on your own? What do you do when you're trapped? and you've got nowhere to go, and you cannot do anything to save yourself. So I thought of that as I was going through this passage for this week. And let's go back to it. We're going to start at verse 53. And if you don't have a Bible, we have extras in the back. If you've decided now that you want one, we can get you one, okay? Or you can run back there and grab one. Starting at verse 53, it says, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Now, this crowd that Jesus is talking to, it's mostly Jews. He's in a synagogue. And these are Jews of a very specific, God-given understanding about life and death and flesh and blood, very specific ideas about sacrifice and atonement and subsisting on the providence of God. And these are people who practice remembering their ancestors eating manna in the desert, bread straight from heaven. Okay? So they have a very good concept of what it means to eat what only God can provide. And now there's this new teacher who's going beyond just opening up Torah. He goes beyond explaining the scriptures to say very shocking things. Now, the first part of the statement sounds pretty fine. Okay, verse 57. Jesus says, Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, perfectly fine statement. 
So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. That's unheard of. That's where he takes it too far. This rabbi is saying, not only does he subsist on God, but those who subsist on him are subsisting on God. He's calling himself the Messiah. He's saying he's God. That takes it further than any rabbi ever would. Anybody other than the one. Now, referring to himself, Jesus says this in verse 58. He says, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? It You see, they're saying it's a hard teaching. It's not one of those times where people are grumbling and saying they don't understand what Jesus is saying. He's being very explicit. They understand exactly what he's saying. They don't misunderstand. It's just hard to accept. It's hard to accept. My husband, Jim, is an engineer. And I remember when he was in college, this is common of many people, many different professions. His first year of school was incredibly difficult. And they do that for a reason. Because as soon as possible, they want to weed out the people who are not going to make it to the end. They want to make sure there's no uncertain terms about what it will take to be an engineer in the particular field you're picking. So they make sure your first year of school is very hard. So if you should be choosing something else, you have time to do it. Okay? That's basically what's happening here. This is that moment where Jesus is surrounded by disciples... These are people who are following him. They're following his ideas. They're discussing them. They're figuring out who this guy is. But this is a point where Jesus just puts a line in the sand and then says, here's a teaching, here's something true that you have to face. And it's not a a statement that creates division. It just reveals divisions, as all good crisis moments do, right? Crisis moments don't make a new thing happen. They just reveal what's already been there, and we can see it more clearly. Okay? That's like what Moses was talking about earlier, about what happened to our country in 2020. Nothing new really happened to us as people. It's just that something happened that forced us to see what we'd maybe been ignoring if we had the luxury of doing it. Right? So that's what this moment is. We're going to hear this teaching, I am the son of God, I am the one that you eat to have eternal life. Are you going to accept it or not? Okay? Eat my flesh, drink my blood to live. That's the only way. I'm the Messiah. In verse 61, it says, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Yet, there are some of you who do not believe. And from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. A disciple is a follower. They became not disciples over this. Okay? And then Jesus turns to the twelve and he says, You do not want to leave too, do you? You've got to decide. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So in this crisis moment that doesn't create division, it reveals division. Peter's heart was already on the side of Jesus. This moment, this question, this teaching proves to him this is where he is. Okay. 
Now we're in a series called Baggage, and this whole series, every week we're looking at uh, the things that weigh us down and how to drop them. Okay, we've been talking about some pretty heavy stuff. This week we're going to talk about addiction. So um, I'm, I'm going to put a really basic definition of addiction on the screen so it's there for you. An addiction is a chronic dysfunction of the brain system that involves reward, motivation, and memory. It's about the way your body craves a substance or behavior, especially if it causes a compulsive or obsessive pursuit of reward and a lack of concern over consequences. That's an addiction. Addiction is all about what we compulsively consume. The things that we consume without having to be told. The things that we go to, whether we need them right now or not. The things that we go to and then later after we've done it, we say, ugh. Right? There's consequences, but in the moment, we don't really process them. That's when something has become an addiction. A very simple one for most of us in the room to identify with is like scrolling, being addicted to that, the scrolling on your phone and losing 30 minutes of your life and only later thinking, I could have been doing so many other things with this time, right? But you just get lost in it. That's an addiction. All right, the core of any addiction is this. Addiction is a false escape from the pain that we feel, okay? Pain of any level, pain is a problem, okay? Small pain, big pain, doesn't matter. When we feel it, we want to avoid it. That's just a natural reaction that we have. Addiction is never your true problem. Addictions grow as we try to escape our problems. So at best, they help us numb out for a bit, and at worst, they make our problems bigger. That's what addictions do. Brene Brown, when she's talking about addiction, she identifies three primary ways of escape that we fall into when we feel pain and want to escape our feelings. Brene Brown breaks it down to three primary ways that we do it, and I have uh, kind of cut them down into three short ways of looking at it. This is kind of like the Megan Cook paraphrase, okay? Well, the first one is add-ons, okay? That's, I have a problem, so let's add on something else. Like, I feel very stressed out. We should probably get a puppy. Or a cat, or another cat, which is what I keep going to. I've not one in my house yet. I have a problem, so let's add on something else. That's the first one. So drugs, alcohol, eating disorders, shopping, sex, gambling, anything that alters your mind or your body so that you have a, a numbed out state where you're kind of escaping reality a bit in some form, big or small, okay? The second one is revision. So that's, I have a problem, so let's make it better, or let's just make something better. <laughs> I have a problem, so let's just try to make anything better. That's perfectionism, okay? That's whether you're working on addressing your exact problem or just somebody else's problems or some other problem you feel like you have better control over, that's perfectionism, that desire to try to achieve some control over the situation when really that's an illusion. Okay. The third one is dread. That's, I have problems, so it's safe to assume things will get worse. So if you really fall into dread a lot, what will happen is when you're in a moment where things are pretty good, you will be catastrophizing about what will happen when it all falls apart. 
So this is someone who has a really great relationship with their spouse, but because they're kind of dealing with all kinds of like other baggage connected to their relationships and things like that, they catastrophize and wonder, okay, what's the strategy? What am I going to do when they die? Okay, that's a way that we cope with our pain. Things are good right now, but good things can go away, so I should prepare myself. Those are three primary ways that humans escape their feelings, add-ons, revisions, and dread. They're all gateways to addiction. Here is something really important I want to point out. The New Testament actually teaches us to do the exact opposite of each one of those three things. So here, look at the first one for add-ons. The way of addiction compels us to get more. The way of Jesus as God is sufficient. You do not need any more. You don't need anything more. That's the Bible. Okay. Philippians. Paul says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. We all have probably heard that once or twice. We know that it's true. It doesn't always feel true. Here's the second one. Um, When you want to fix things, when you want to be a perfectionist, when you try to get some level of control over something or someone to get like a, a handle on things, The way of addiction pressures you to be better. The way of Jesus promises you are complete in Christ. There are many things that might be able to grow or get healthier in your life, but you are complete and you can't do anything about it. You are just complete. It might not feel that way, but it's true. Near addictions want to tell you that there's some activity that you can do to fix this nagging feeling to address the problem that isn't even there because at your core, you're already complete in Christ. (laughs) Okay? Here's the last one. The way of addiction pressures you to... Oh, that's not the last one. That's not the last one. Sorry. I want to read the Bible verse first. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and sealed us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast." So I don't know if there's any other Enneagram ones out there. I am one. I am a one. Um, if you are a perfectionist, that is an incredible thing to memorize. Okay, if you love perfection, good. God has an incredible way for you to understand what it means to be perfect. Okay, and it does not involve what you do to get there. Okay, okay now here's the third one. The way of addiction wants you to fear the future. Okay. This is like what happened in the pandemic when we were fearing the future and we couldn't do anything about any of it, so we just bought more stuff. <laughs> Either because we were afraid we would need it, like you're like buying Tylenol, all the things, or because you're afraid that it will run out and you will need it in the future, right? Like all kinds of ridiculous things, okay? The way of Jesus gives living hope right now and forever, 
First Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. See how safe it is? We're always so freaked out about what might go wrong and we could lose it all. We can't lose anything that matters. Everything that matters is eternal and it's stuck in heaven, hidden there in an inheritance that nobody can touch. It's just there. It's just for us. God made it that way. Addiction is a false escape from the pain we feel. It's never your core problem. Addictions grow as we try to escape our deeper problems. And here's the key point for today. We fall into addiction when we believe the lie that we have anywhere to go but God. When we experience abandonment or fear or worry, when we feel powerless or insecure or rejected or um, we've been abused or neglected, when we have done something to do one of these things to another person and we feel condemned, we feel pain. And we will try anything to escape the feeling of pain. Don't get down on yourself for doing that. It's a natural response, right? Like who would want to leave their hand on a stove? Right? You're going to feel like you need to pull it away or there would be something else wrong with you. Okay. Don't get down on yourself for the power that your feelings have. Okay. Of course they have that power. Pain is loud. All your emotions are loud. And you can try to drown them out, but the feelings are still going to be there. The key is this. Feelings demand attention, but they are not your authority. Jesus is. It's not that feelings don't matter. I think in the church a lot of times we fall into this trap of basically communicating that like you have feelings but they're not the truth so don't obey them. Do something else that the Bible tells you to do. Which is advice. It's not altogether bad. But we don't want to ever say that your feelings don't matter. They matter. You just have to make sure that they're ordered in the right place in your life. They matter very much. They are not your authority. They're not who you obey. But they definitely matter. Okay, Dallas Willard said, addiction is abandonment to feeling as the ultimate value in one's life. Allowing oneself to be carried away by feeling leads to deadness of soul. There's this weird thing that happens that the more that we let our feelings carry us, the more that we give ourselves over to how we feel in the moment, the more dead we start to feel. And there's a connection there because the more that we escape our feelings, we're actually obeying our feelings by responding to them in the moment. And the more that we do that, the more we do stuff that actually deadens our soul, that numbs us out. That's what addictions are, okay? Addiction is abandonment to feelings, allowing feelings to lord over your life. In order to form an addiction, we must repetitively obey and serve feelings, honoring comfort and control over all else. And again, this is what's strange about that practice. The primary way we serve our feelings is by avoiding them and self-medicating with something else. Addiction is numbing our feelings with activities that have nothing to do with our core problems and can only serve to make our problems multiply. Addicts bury their feelings. 
The problem is, in the act of burying your feelings, you bury yourself. Not just the parts of yourself that you're trying to bury, you bury all of yourself. You can't just bury a tiny bit of yourself. The more you work to bury some part of your life, all of it goes with it. The good stuff, too. Okay? You dig yourself so deep, one day you discover you're in a pit you can't escape on your own. You're trapped. You have nowhere to go. You cannot get yourself out. Addiction is a pit we dig for ourselves. The solution to addiction is sobriety. And in order to experience sobriety in the way of Jesus, we must repetitively obey and serve God and honor his methods of comfort and control over all else. We break free from addiction when we move from practicing temporary escape to practicing acceptance of the present moment that we really actually are living in and being here right now and dealing with it. Okay? Addiction is a practice of escape. Sobriety is a practice of acceptance. And Christians, like I said, we can beat each other up about our feelings, right? We either give too much attention to them or not enough attention to them, and whatever we do, we're supposed to kind of ignore them because they're not what's really true. They are telling us something true. We just have to understand the place that they go in life. Okay, accept them, handle them properly. We handle our feelings, whims, temptations, and struggles properly when we've experienced the gospel for ourselves and live accordingly. There are these moments in life when there could be some part of the gospel that you know and you've said and you believe is true with all that you are, but in the moment you don't act like it's true. And there are moments when the power of the gospel can transform something in you, mind, body, soul, where something shifts. And that thing you've always known is true actually feels true, maybe for the first time. And that is the moment when something that's been a stronghold, a a habit you can't break, an addiction can snap and fall away. The process can start. The only way you can get yourself out of something like that is to ask God to do something you can't do for yourself and something that only he can do. If you've fallen into addiction, you can get free. That is a promise included in the gospel. If you're in a pit so deep that you can barely see the light at the surface, you're right. You can't save yourself. You can keep digging further down, but if you want to get out, you have to acknowledge that no one can save you but Jesus. You have to acknowledge that there are some things that only God can do in you. You cannot manufacture them on your own. Jesus is in the business of reordering the world so that it works properly again. And he can do the same thing for your world. Jesus can reorder your world. Where else can you go but Jesus? He's got the words of eternal life. With God's help, Every one of us in this room can be trained to sin less today than we did yesterday. We can. We can do that. Christians should be familiar with deliverance. It should be an ordinary thing for us to experience victory. Sometimes uh, people will have like one or two moments in their life where they really feel like they had victory in Jesus. It should become ordinary every day, all the time. You should really be familiar with victory. And if you're not, there is more. That's the gospel. 
That's the gospel. Okay? God empowers us to stop sinning and be holy. We just have to take him as our master and do whatever he says. That tends to be the problem. That tends to be the point where some people stay and some people go. Okay? The moment where we stop talking about just being like, uh, like Dallas Willard calls them vampire Christians, people who want just enough of Jesus to get just enough blood to cover them so they know they're safe, but they don't want all of it. And we as a church, we exist to follow Jesus and to invite people into the way of Jesus. And that means we don't just stop at being safe, being saved. We want our whole lives to be mastered by Jesus. That is what we're after. All right, so that is that point where people say that is a hard teaching because it means that you might think you know what's wrong with your life and you might think you know what you want to change about it, but God might have different ideas. He might also want you to break free of that addiction, but he might want you to do it in a way you're not willing to do. God might ask you to do something you are not prepared to say yes to, and that might cause you to step away and say, I'm not sure. That's a hard teaching. We are here to be mastered by Jesus. I was talking to the prayer team about this at our workshop last week. The idea of followers, like um, in our society, we use this word followers all the time. Like, oh yeah, I follow, I follow her. She makes amazing cupcakes, right? Like, oh, I follow that guy. He makes the coolest like Rube Goldberg machines. You're not following them, like you're watching what they do from the outside, but you're not with them every day of their life and living your life just like they do. That's what we mean when we're talking about following Jesus, being an actual disciple, becoming whole person exactly like they are, okay? Addiction is all about what we compulsively consume. What do you devour without even thinking about it? Donuts. You will all probably have a donut after this. We do have plenty of gluten-free donuts, by the way. It's easy to eat a donut, right? Very easy. It's easy to eat two donuts. After that, you start to get sick. But in the moment, they looked really good, and now you're dealing with the consequences, okay? There are some things it's easy to do. There are other things that are harder, and we end up not doing them. Okay, so think of all the things in your life you wish you were doing, but in order to do them, you need like a habit tracker and an accountability partner and all of those things. You can get to a point in following Jesus where it becomes easy to do those things you think are so hard right now. That's the easy yoke of Jesus. Unholy addiction is a false escape from pain. Holy addiction is a compulsion to go to God for healing, comfort, companionship, answers, rest, and reward. Do you see that even addiction can get sanctified? Holy people compulsively devour the things of God. Day by day by day, it can get easier and easier and easier to just run to God and devour him in a moment of stress in a moment of need, in a moment of joy where you're not fearing the future. It can get easier, okay? Now, in a moment, as the band comes up, we're going to have communion. And as we do, it's a really perfect day to have communion because we're talking about devouring the things of God, of, of taking into our lives, like it's the thing that we eat, the thing that gives us everything we need for the day, Okay, that's what this is. Now, this is just some juice and a gluten-free wafer that honestly tastes terrible. Um, and they're kind of hard to chew. But 
The whole point is it's an act that we do to put ourselves in a position to receive something from God that only God can give us. Okay? That's what sacraments are. Sacraments are times when we put our body and our mind somewhere to get something from God that we can't get alone. You can watch TED Talks. You can listen to incredible podcasts. You know, you're not here because Phil and I are so charismatic and wise and incredible. right? You're here because you want to be actively a part of the body of Christ. That's why we're here. And one of the first things I noticed when I moved to Des Moines is here in Des Moines, you don't really get any brownie points from anyone at work by saying you go to church, right? It's kind of like an entry point for people to immediately think you might be weird. Okay, when I go to work, it's fine. But I understand how it is for all of you, okay? You are here because there are things that only God can do. We get here, we do all of this, we gather, we serve throughout the week because we know we can do good things anywhere. We can get self-help anywhere, but there are some things that only God can do, and that is worth it to us. Gathering matters. This church matters. The church matters because there are things we know we can't get on our own. So when you come to this table, remember that. That this is... A ritual, a habit, is something that we're supposed to do as often as we can, but as we do it, never forget that you're coming here to kind of put your body in a position to say, God, there are things I cannot make for myself. I need you to do it. The condition is you can come up and do this no matter what, but if you have that on your mind as you do it, be ready to say, Jesus, whatever you want to tell me to do, I will do it. Whatever you say, I will listen. However you change me, you can do it. I'm not going to fight you. That's the deal. God's stuff, God's way.